How should we think of anxiety, really? Uh, short definition here, state of mind, or scriptures use the, the term heart uh, frequently, state of mind or heart and body uh, that is governed or controlled uh, by a fear or uh, of some imagined adverse outcome in, in the future. That's really what, what anxiety is. It's apprehension about uh, an anticipated ill. It's borrowing tomorrow's troubles for today. That's really what, uh, what anxiety is. It's uh, a subset of the broader category of, of fear. And it's probably best to consider um, anxiety and fear on a spectrum. Right, so at one end of the spectrum, there are what you might call focal, ordinary worries, uh, the kinds of things that we face every day. Will we, will we have enough money in the bank to, to pay the rent at the end of the month? Is my daughter safe as she travels overseas? Uh, which college should I go to? Uh, will there be a seat? Uh, will I find a seat at lunch? Um, what will happen if my girlfriend breaks up with me? These are this is the, the warp and woof of, uh, of anxiety. But at the other end of the spectrum, and I've already alluded to this, uh, is, is more severe manifestations of anxiety. Um, OCD, uh, social anxiety, panic attacks, uh, PTSD. And I would say the more severe the anxiety, the more our bodies are involved, whether as a cause initially, right, panic attacks, for example, or as an effect. The more anxious we are and the more severe the anxiety, uh, the more our bodies are, are involved. So given that, here's, so here's a question, and I'll, rather than me talking, I'll have you guys talk. Um, is anxiety sin? Is anxiety sin? What do you think? How would you answer that? Can be. Can be. How so? Um, can be unbelief regarding the future that you were mm -hmm. anxious about. Mm -hmm. Yep. What else? How else would you think about that that question? I think some of it may depend on like what we do with our anxiety. Mm -hmm. If it comes up, do you like stew in it, or do you like give it over to God whenever it comes up? Yeah, yeah. So you may find yourself in an anxious state, um, but what do we what do we do with that uh, anxiety when it comes? Okay. Other other ways to to think about that question? Um, is it chemically driven? Okay, could be chemically driven. Right? If, if we think it's more of a bodily phenomenon, then it, it clearly and squarely is in the category of bodily weakness and, and suffering. Other thoughts? It's a tough question because the scriptures that cover anxiety are pretty much a don't be anxious and everything. And don't worry about tomorrow. Go to God in prayer. Um, his burdens light. And like so, just there's verse after verse that it seems at times cut and dry. But obviously, in the thick of life, it isn't as cut and dry. But so, like my initial gut reaction based on scripture would say, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is part of our brokenness and part of our sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, like Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, right? That's a, that's a command. So if I am anxious, I've broken a command. Case closed. It's sin. It, but is it, is it that we could be more nuanced um, than that? Uh, I think maybe part of the question is, is it voluntary or involuntary? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about your, the thoughts that are that just pop up. If you have intrusive thoughts, um, it's not a sin that those pop into your head. It's a question of what do you do with it? And do you entertain yeah. those thoughts or pursue them or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, what... How much are you? Is there a voluntary brooding uh, over these uh, over these things that could that can factor into it? It could also be a manifestation of sin. Maybe it's not sin itself, but there's some sort of heart level idolatry or something that's going on that's coming out, and that's an, that's indicative of that deeper thing going on. Yeah. That's how it's usually for me. Yeah, right. So the the anxiety itself is a is a secondary. It's a it's a byproduct of something else that you're you're focused on. We'll talk a, a little bit more about that shortly. Yeah, I think I think we should be nuanced about uh, about that uh, about that question. Um, we shouldn't consider the experience of anxiety to be monolithic any more than we consider the experience of depression uh, to be monolithic, right? I've I've met uh, plenty of godly people who love Jesus who descend into an inexplicable melancholy. Uh, and I've met plenty of people whose depression is associated with, uh, you know, with disappointment and vengeful anger in the wake of a relationship uh, not uh, working out. Both of those people are depressed, but the pastoral response to them will will look different, and I think uh, Paul helps us when he uh, when he says in First Thessalonians five fourteen, we urge you brothers, admonish the idle or the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and so we we tailor our pastoral response to the the type of person that is in front of us, uh, all under the umbrella command of be patient uh, with them all. Occasionally, anxiety does have more of an unruly feel to it, Uh, but much of the time, I think we ought to consider it in the faint-hearted and weak categories, which means encouragement and help rather than Admonishment are are in order. I mean, think about how God responds to faint-hearted people all throughout Scripture. Okay, it's much less. What is wrong with you people? You know, oh ye of little faith, um, and much more. Fear not, uh, for for I am with you. Or take courage, dear one. Okay, that's more of the, the tenor that you, uh, that you see. Okay? So I think we need a nuanced answer to that and say sometimes, yes, uh, and sometimes uh, maybe not. And we need to, we need to know the person uh, in front of us uh, in order to see what, is, what, do, they, what do they most need uh, at, this, at this point. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit of things here. And... And let, let us start thinking about anxiety biblically and theologically. Um, 
because we need we need the perspective of scripture to help us understand why uh, we experience anxiety not just we've been talking about the what uh, of anxiety but we also need to think about the why um, why we are anxious to the extent that we can um, understand that now I think it should be really heartening to us that fear is all over the pages of scripture it's all over um, and the most common directive in Scripture to God's people is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And again, not in that heavy-handed, hammer-like uh, kind of way, um, but, much, uh, but much more in the kind of way that you might, you might comfort your child um, who is scared uh, to go to sleep at night. And you come alongside and you talk about... Um, the presence of the Lord and your presence uh, with them. So, how should we think about this? Uh, Why are we anxious? And again, I'm going to be focused mainly on this common to every person, a variety of anxiety, which generally has some focal concern uh, behind it. Uh, But I think this also applies to the more severe end of the spectrum as well. So, I'm going to describe three factors. uh, Vulnerability, value and verticality or or lack thereof. So vulnerability, um, central reality that is uh, described in scripture, bad things can and do happen uh, to people. Loss is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. Um, Death is inevitable. That is not the original plan, right? Um, But it is our reality now due to the entrance of sin and suffering into our world. Uh, To use a a phrase of uh, pastor and writer Zach Eswine, we have to deal with the inconsolable things, uh, this side of glory, the things that that are broken and simply won't be fixed until, until Jesus returns. Um, what, is, what is true of Job is true of us. He says in Job 3.25, The thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Okay? There's, a, there's a certain realism in Scripture. So even, we're going we're gonna to spend some time uh, in Luke 12 in just a little bit, but... In that, in that chapter, Jesus says, do not be anxious or do not fear, or it's equivalent uh, about six times. And all throughout, there is, a, there is a realism. In verse 4, Jesus reminds his disciples that, yes, the body can be killed. In verse 4, uh, money bags wear out, thieves break in and steal, moths do destroy, in, in verse 30. So in one sense... In one sense, a temptation toward anxiety means that you're actually living in the real world uh, because there are real threats that we, that we face uh, throughout, throughout our lives. And a detached, you know, hakuna matata, <laughs> no worries, don't worry, or be happy, uh, mindset simply avoids uh, the realities of, of living in a, in a fallen world. Uh, and in fact, you know, as you read the as you read the New Testament, what you see is that suffering is the norm uh, for for God's people. There's not it's not an escape from the difficulties of of this life, right? Jesus says in 
in John 16.33, um, in the world you will have tribulation, you will have trial. He also couples that with, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, but we're still in this already and not yet place where we're seeing that being worked out and awaiting its final consummation. So, vulnerability. It seems that we actually have good reasons uh, to, to be anxious. Bad things can and do happen. And the question is, is that the, is that the heart of anxiety? Uh, that life is transient and, and full of trouble? Why then do some people face the same unavoidable set of circumstances but, uh, but come away without, uh, without fretting? Hmm. Makes us want to press in a little bit more in terms of the whys behind anxiety. Um, and that's next the issue of value. Um, at its core, anxiety grows as I fear loss of something valuable. I'm not anxious, you're not anxious, about the things that you don't care about. Um, right? I don't, I don't care if my car gets dinged up. Uh, I mean, I, I, wanna, I don't want to total it, but I don't, I don't care if the paint gets nicked and things like that. It's, I, I want it as a form of transportation, but it's not something that I'm, that I'm putting a high level of value in. So I'm not, not that anxious uh, about, about my car. So we ought to ask ourselves and, and those that we work with, what, what is it um, that, you're, uh, that your heart is gravitating toward? What are you, what are you valuing? What, what do you think you can't live without? Now, to a certain extent, there's something that's good and, uh, and right about that. If we're anxious about uh, a family member who's, who's chronically ill, that's, that's appropriate. Uh, we, we value his or her life, so it's understandable why we would have a high level of concern. Um, but sometimes high value becomes ultimate value. Um, a, a want or a desire becomes uh, a demand. Jesus puts it like this in Luke twelve thirty four, and he also says the same thing in Matthew six twenty one: Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying, what is, what is of greatest value to you? What is the controlling center of your life? That that will that will basically grab you uh, and 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 drive your life in a certain direction. Um, another way of saying that is what you treasure is what you will worship. What is of greatest value to you in a given moment will dominate your thoughts and your affections and your actions. So I think if we want to understand uh, and battle against anxiety in our own lives and help others to do the same, we need to ask when we're, when we're facing anxiety, when we're experiencing it, Ask the question, what do I really value here? Uh, what, what do I cherish and therefore fear losing? Uh, what must I have in order to be content? Anxiety and value go hand in hand. I have a quote in your handout from Tim Keller. This is from a, a sermon that he gave on Psalm 27 years ago. And in really in this quote, he's capturing both value and vulnerability. He says, 
Our anxiety is proportional to the vulnerability of the things in which we place our trust or hope, our greatest joy. Okay? So the issue at the root of much of our anxiety is that we're placing our greatest trust and hope and joy in something that is inherently unstable. It's inherently vulnerable. Okay? So as both value and vulnerability increase, our anxiety increases. And so do attempts at controlling our world so that, uh, so that, we, uh, so that we don't lose that, so that we can keep safe what we, what we value. Um, I counseled a guy, uh, a young man years ago, whose uh, girlfriend broke up with him because of smothering and controlling uh, behavior. Uh, he, he loved her, didn't want to live without her, but the, the issue was that she had a fairly uncontrolled seizure disorder, so she was always at risk of something happening uh, to her. She, she, of course, wasn't driving, but even so, she could be walking down a flight of steps and um, and have a seizure. So he sought to control her and uh, make her as safe as possible. He would, he would always be asking her, did you take your medicines? Did you take your medicines? Um, you were supposed to call at eight and you didn't call. You could have been lying in a ditch uh, somewhere. Well, n- not surprisingly, over time, you know, she said, I can't, I can't take this. I can't take this kind of, uh, of control. So high value, High value, high vulnerability led uh, to high anxiety and over overprotection and hyper controlling behavior uh, in this in this relationship. And really, there isn't much that isn't vulnerable in in our world, um, right? We're you know even now we continue to hear reports of uh, the coronavirus uh, spreading. There's a low level. And sometimes high-level uh, anxiety that is that is brewing uh, right now, and so we are acutely aware of our vulnerability in moments like this. That's true all the time. That's true all the time. But um, there's nothing to say that any of us will get home safely. We just, you know, we are in God's hands, um, and so vulnerability and and value. So how do we? How should we respond to that, right? Do we, uh, do we ratchet up control and protective mechanisms to decrease vulnerability as much as possible? No. Um, do we detach emotionally from the things that we value? No. That smacks more of Buddhism than it does of Christianity. Um, but that... The question is then, does that mean that anxiety is inevitable um, until Jesus returns? Well, yes and no. I think in some part it depends where my trust ultimately lies. Um, if, what I, if where I place my greatest hope, um, my greatest security, is in Jesus, my unchanging king uh, who powerfully rules his world, um, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then yes, I think we have some fighting chance um, against, against anxiety. Um, but that's easier said than done, which is what we'll talk about in the, in the, second, uh, in the second talk. Um, why am I anxious? Um, here's a third factor. Uh, we've looked at uh, 
you know, value and vulnerability. Um, but I would say, often, right, the fundamental issue is is a lack of verticality. I'm anxious because I struggle to entrust myself uh, to uh, to the Lord at some level. And I and I've seen in my own life this can be on multiple levels. So there there are multiple places where I can mistrust the Lord. One is in the in the area of His power. Do I really trust um, it, that He's strong enough? Do I really trust that He's strong enough? Um, his love. Uh, do I really trust that uh, that He cares? Right. The disciples in the boat uh, in in Mark four. Teacher, do you not care? that we are perishing is a great example of that. Uh, one of the most um, profound and yet uh, simple things that uh, was said to me uh, during a time of sustained depression and anxiety many years ago was spoken by uh, my pastor at the time, Mike Sherritt, um, who this was at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in, uh, in Charlottesville. And he basically said, Mike, uh, you you mistrust the the goodness of God, um, and he and he said it in his very kind and gentle and pastoral way. Um, and what was he what was he saying? Um, he, he, you know, you don't trust that he is really there for you, um, that he delights in you. You're you're constantly waiting for for the other shoe to drop. Uh, you you view God's hand as a it's an iron fist in a, in a velvet glove. Um, and that, that very simple, <laughs> um, and that, I mean, obviously he didn't, we didn't leave the conversation at that. We, we continued to have conversations, but uh, that began for me a, a, a rediscovery um, of, of, the, of the grace of the Lord and the, the love of, of Christ uh, for me. But it's, in some ways, it's no wonder that I was anxious and depressed because I was living very much with an orphan kind of mindset. I mistrust God's wisdom. Does He really? Does He really know uh, what He's doing? I think, again, don't have time to go into detail, but in many respects, that is the theme of the Book of Job. Right? Who is wise? Does God really know what He's up to? Neither Job nor his friends fully understood that. Um, even though Job was right that he was that he was innocent, uh, so mistrusting God's wisdom is basically saying, "I don't think you know what I really need here, Lord." Okay, um, you're you're not speaking my love language, right? Uh, we might we might say uh, that he is uh, that he is loving and powerful, but he's clumsy uh, in the expression of his of his love. And power, and then lastly, I mistrust God's presence. Um, I'm, I think He's not. He's not really. He's not really there. So I think we can. Oftentimes, we can acknowledge God's power and love and wisdom, uh, but in effect, practically speaking, we we envision Him operating at a distance, uh, as though He's an absentee father. Uh, again, which leads to this kind of orphan. Mindset, and which means that it's up to me to protect uh, what I value and treasure in this life. I saw that up close and personal. We our youth went. Uh, we went to a mission, uh, a mission trip to uh, um, an orphanage in Guatemala, and 
some of the, the newer kids that uh, had just arrived when they were served food, they, they basically hovered and hoarded because they, they couldn't trust that they would be provided for. Um, and I think we can do the same thing uh, in terms of our mistrust of God's, uh, God's presence and, uh, and love for us. That is one of the most precious realities, I think, that we see in Scripture, um, that God is with us. God is with us. Moses talks about that in, in Exodus 33. It's the very presence of God, the very presence of God that distinguished the people of Israel from every other, every other nation. And in the New Testament, that is ramped up, right, with the, with the gift of the Spirit uh, for all who are in Christ, uh, fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So I think growing to trust God in each of those areas is key, um, especially the last, um, that God is actually uh, with us. Um, I think about the, my uh, lost uh, license plate and think I, my confessional theology was absolutely perfect, but my functional theology was, was way off base. I didn't believe any of those things uh, in, that, in those moments, that God was, that God was truly uh, for us. Um, and so in our experience of anxiety, our, our worries seem bold and in technicolor, and these aspects of God's character seem much more hazy or kind of black and white. And so part of our, uh, part of our task, both with regard to our own hearts as well as those we minister to, is how can, how can we, with them, vivify uh, these, these aspects of, of God's character? We'll, we'll see, I'll pause here shortly. Um, it's, it's not you know, simple enough to say, or it's not easy, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we don't simply say, just trust God, right? Because that's, that's simply not helpful, right? Have you ever poured out your heart to someone and they say, well, just trust, just trust God. It's like, well, that's so generic, of course. Uh, but why that's not helpful is because it doesn't make the riches of God's character and mercies, it doesn't, it doesn't rivet it to the particulars of that struggle that, that either that you're having or that that person uh, is, is having. So why, do we, uh, why are we anxious? Generally, it's because we are placing ultimate hope and value in something that is inherently vulnerable. Uh, and it's because we struggle in those moments to believe that we have a God who is, is powerful and loving and wise, who promises to be with us even as we pass through our most vulnerable moments. Um, might say that you know, the anxiety that we experience is, is less about what's out there. There's plenty of, um, plenty of things to make us anxious and more about what's in here, right, in, in our hearts in those, in those moments, which is actually really good news, right, to say that anxiety is often less situational and much more relational, that is, with, with regard to the Lord. Can I grow to trust him in the midst of my experience? Um, which means there's a relational solution to this problem. So we'll talk about... Um, how do we grow this trust um, in the in the second session? But why don't we uh, why don't we end? Uh, I'm, I'll 
we'll repeat the, the Heidelberg Catechism. I think it's a wonderful, um, just a wonderful testimony of where, where we are in, in Christ. Um, what is your only comfort in life and death, everyone? That I am not my own, but the long body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Amen. Let's take a 10-minute break.